Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna. With Yakult on News Talk. This is Alive and Kicking, News Talk's health and wellness show. I'm Claire McKenna. You can email aliveandkicking at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire McKenna Presents. Coming up this morning, Carly Keegan went on her first diet at 12 and spent her life in a cycle of losing and gaining weight. She ended with a poor relationship with food and her body. She's now begun the process of healing that and she'll join me in studio to tell her story. Dr. Mark Rowe was on a few weeks back to talk about his book, The Vitality Mark. Today, he'll join me in studio to go through the basics of lifestyle medicine and how we can introduce it into our lives. And I took a trip to Parascourt Springs Health Farm to meet its owner and hear about its concept that wellness is different for everyone. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, I have decided to start the show with a bit of honesty. Hello, my name is Claire McKenna and I am all over the place, just as much as the next person, I am sure. But we do tend to put a best foot forward identity out there, don't we? Which is fair enough. But I think it's good to talk about when things fall apart because that's fair enough too. Now, it hasn't been a bad week. I've been enjoying the later start to the morning because there's been no school run. Summer camp starts later, felt easier. And work-wise, it's been good. I had a lovely family meal, even a date night. Got the walks in, got to the gym. Felt I was winning when I drove down to Wicklow for my interview with Parascourt Springs. But as I arrived, I got a message alerting me that something for work I thought I had sent hadn't got there. Cut to a tailspin, me furiously trying to re-record and resend the audio. A call coming through from one of the parents at the soccer camp because I maybe my husband was running late. I didn't even get to that. The supermarket was ringing me to tell me that my card had been declined for the click and collect. That is my life. The irony of it all, I was in a beautiful yoga studio in a beautiful health farm with bean bags and a Buddha and let go written on the wall. And there I was in a ball of fight or flight mode. But look, I got there eventually, but it was one of those days as one thing and another dominoed. Nothing major, but it starts with you, doesn't it? Like you're the first domino. And while I'm trying not to beat myself up, stuff happens, as they say. But I can't help but notice that this is the third health and wellness place I've arrived to over the last few months, wound up to bits because I'm merging what should be time out. I know I was going for an interview, but there was a plan for me to hop on the flotation bed, spend a bit of time in the pool and the steam room. None of that happened. And this, uh, I mean, look, it was lovely once I got started an hour behind the gorgeous Adrienne Sweeney, who owns Periscourt Springs, gave me a tour around and she was so understanding and helpful with the stress. So it was fine. But the spinning plates are hard sometimes, aren't they? You're running from one to another, doing your best. And then when you just see one crash to the floor, who else are you going to blame and question? So while this week I focused on taking it a little slower in the mornings for the first week of the no school run, next week I'm going to return to what I know works for me, but that I tend to forget. Getting up ahead of the house and taking a moment to myself to breathe, write some stuff down, get myself centred for the day ahead and those spinning plates. You can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. Now for my next interview, I just want to give a quick trigger warning because we will be talking about food and body issues, which may affect some. 
Carly Keegan was a child when she went on her first diet and from then there followed a life of losing and gaining weight and an unhealthy relationship with food and her body. She's now begun to heal from all that. She's ditched the dieting and is documenting it all on social media as she rediscovers Carly. She joins me in studio now. Hello, Carly. Hello. Thank you for having me. Before we even get into any of that, tell us a little bit about you, because I think it's really important that we are so much more than our bodies and what we weigh. So tell us a bit about you, your life, your work. Yeah, so I am from Dublin. I live in Dublin and I am a medical scientist in blood transfusion, a senior medical scientist, promotion back in February. Um, and I absolutely love my work. Um, I work in the National Maternity Hospital and I absolutely love it. Um, and... Outside of that, I love to sea swim, which is something I took up about three years ago. I love to read and I love to cook. Yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. Yeah, because it is, isn't it? You know, I love the podcast with Jamila Jamil, I Weigh, and often they talk about body issues, food issues, female issues, inclusion issues, whatever it is. And at the end, people have to say, what do I weigh? Because what it says on the scales is not the sum value of who you are as a person and yet so much weight goes into that, doesn't it? Yeah, it has absolutely nothing to do with our worth as a person. It doesn't have anything to do with how we define ourselves as people and that's that's such an important message and it's something that I've only really come to learn when I started this intuitive eating journey and I put my all my worth on what I weighed for about 15 years. And I mentioned that you were a child when you went on your first diet and again, I think it's important to point out that your family did this from a place of love and health because that's the message that we've been given over and over again to be in a bigger body is to be in a healthier body to be in a smaller body is a healthier body so I think it's really fair that we give them that credit where credit is due but nonetheless what was your perspective of of your childhood and and getting to that point? Yeah I had to do a lot of work when I I started my intuitive eating counselling I had to do a lot of work on unpacking how I felt about that and it's very easy for someone who's come out of diet culture to sit here on the other side and say you know I've I've done it I know what it's been like and to see the harm of it but everyone I find that everyone is at their own depth in diet culture and everyone has to come out of it at their own time and we are all just victims of diet culture at the end of the day like we're all born intuitive eaters naturally and it's only when you learn to understand and process external messaging that you are affected by diet culture. So it's very hard to escape. There's, there's there's no real way for you to fully escape diet culture when you are growing up. So I tried to have a lot of compassion for my family and to know that it, it was coming from a place of love because that's the messaging. That is what is the messaging from all around us, social media and even the health service. That's what's recommended. So, you know, but I do find that it it is really hard not to have kind of those uncomfortable feelings. We have to have compassion. But at the same time, I think everyone does have responsibility to be open-minded and willing to learn new things. But everyone has to come out of it at their own time, I find. Yeah, and you're right. That messaging is everywhere. This eat less, move more, low fat, low carb. When you walk through the supermarket, that's all that's there. And that was very much the messaging and all these good foods and bad food. So what would have been the attitude to to food in your house? Well, I think, you know, there was there was never any restriction per se. I never felt that I couldn't have certain foods. 
But they were just, it was my normal. There were just certain foods that we didn't have. So it was not that I felt that I couldn't have them. I just didn't know any different. You know, I wouldn't have ever had a burger bun on a burger. Um, that was one that I remember a lot. But, and everything was a treat at the end of the night. It, it was it was a treat. So there's all these mess- messagings that like grow up with you. And as you grow, they just become ingrained. Ingrained in you and you can't, you can't see the outside of it. And was there a time where you were conscious of your body as a child? Do you remember that or was that a gradual thing? Because I wonder when it happens, even that we're conscious of our appearance, you know, our hair, our eye colour, our bodies. Yeah, I, I read a, an article recently. There's there's studies now showing that children, boys and girls as young as six, are looking in the mirror and saying, I need to lose weight. I need to change my body. And I just think that is... That's just awful. It's 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 so awful for all for all those people coming into this this diet culturing world. But I I definitely remember feeling uncomfortable in my body from when I was a young age, from when I was kind of starting secondary school, ending primary into secondary school. Um, and I remember vividly shopping for my secondary school skirt in Arnott's and just feeling so uncomfortable with the sizing and just a really kind of uncomfortable experience knowing that my body. I, I, I didn't f- not feel good in my body and you know the, the skirt just didn't fit they didn't have a size that fit me there and you know at the time I probably wasn't considered in inverted commas overweight slash inverted commas obese so the fact that they didn't even have the size that fit me at that size is just it's beyond belief in my mind you know And what about the cycle of dieting then that I mentioned because that really sets anybody up there's a goal and if you don't get there it's a fail and there's restriction and with restriction at the end of that can come an unhealthy relationship then with food when you can't sustain it so it's a real roller coaster yeah it's it's a vicious circle that's how I think of it in my head I think of you know restriction you lose a bit of weight then you can't keep it up because it's unsustainable long term because if, if diets worked everyone would only ever do one you know, it's it doesn't work. So, you know, you restrict and then you binge because you can't. That was what I did. I, I couldn't sustain it long term. And so I would binge and then I would put on weight and then I would start the cycle over and over again. And weight cycling in itself is so unhealthy. So the very thing that I was doing to try and reduce my weight only ever maybe put on more. Yeah, and the stats say that over 90% of people who go on a diet will end up putting on more weight, Yeah, will put it back on and, and add more. more. And because of the restriction, they will affect their natural metabolism. So it's just causing more and more damage. And we are starting to talk about that a lot more now and that there are so many more reasons that can lead to weight gain. It's not laziness. It's not and not caring and an overeating. Yeah. There can be a whole host of reasons behind it. Yeah, I, I always think about, you know, when you talk about, when we talk about height, we would never be like, well, I'm not tall enough, so I need to be taller or I'm not small enough, so I need to make myself smaller. But with weight, we do that. We 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 want to make ourselves smaller, but the same genetic determinants are the same for height and weight. But yet we blame ourselves and we can't change it. But it's... There are a million other factors involved, a million other factors that we just don't see because we like to blame ourselves instead. 
you're so right. We don't look at a really tall person and be like, what have you done to get yeah. to this size? And why can't you shrink back down again? Yeah. And yet we expect that so much. And we're emotional beings as well. Like I will often look, I know it's a strange comparison, but even at our cat, once the cat has finished eating, it's done. And off he goes and does his own thing and then yeah. back he comes again. Whereas we are emotional eaters. We eat to celebrate. We eat when we're sad. Like that's a very different connection with food that can be hard to navigate and work out. Yeah, food is food is a, such a big part of our life and food is a huge part of my life. I, I like that. I love going out for dinner to celebrate or going out for dinner to commiserate. Like, you know, I if food is a huge part and I love to cook. So navigating, navigating that, you know, coming out of diet culture was really hard. But I have learned that, you know, as long as food is not the only thing I reach for when I'm feeling emotional, you know, there has to be a number of tools in your self-care toolbox, you know, to be able to reach for. So I will go for a swim or I will go out for a walk and listen to a podcast or I will ring up a friend. As long as you're not, as long as I'm not reaching for food to soothe my emotions every single time, then I know that I have a healthy relationship with food. And again, that's just something you've grown to learn and a conversation that's starting to be had in the mainstream that just wasn't there a few years ago. So how was this having an impact on you as a person, this dieting cycle as you kind of went from your teens into your 20s? I really had no confidence in myself. And I I like to think I, I, I definitely had a mask on of an air of confidence because I it's easier to try and exude that than to look at what's really happening beneath, I find, because people will ask questions and you don't want to talk about the fact that you're you're failing at weight loss at every turn. So it really had an effect on my self-confidence. I know, especially in my relationships, I really felt like I was lucky. I was lucky to have friends. I was lucky to have a relationship because who would want to be with me at the size that I was when I looked like this? And that's really sad. That's really sad because, you know, relationships are a two-way street and people are lucky to have me. I tell you that much now, you know. And it's it's completely turned around from feeling a sense of worthless and a sense of ongoing failure every time I started a diet I knew I knew it was going to be the time that I was going to do it and it never worked so I feel like now it's almost like I've been reborn sounds dramatic but that's what it feels like you know it's like I'm starting my life again and what was the turning point what was the 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 rock bottom where you decided enough so when when Covid was kind of in the background it had it only kind of started back in kind of that January. When we all thought it would be when we all thought it would over be in two weeks. <laughs> um I was on my last my last well, I didn't know it would be my last diet. And I knew it was it was my birthday in March and I was like, I, I want to have lost X amount of weight by this time. And I was doing progress pictures, I was calorie counting and I was doing it all and then had a birthday party looked what I thought was my idea of had lost weight and perfect at that moment in time. And then a couple of days later, Leo Radker was on the TV saying everything shut down. And at that moment, it was like, click my fingers, I'm off the diet. I'm off it. And it was like, I have to eat everything. I'm getting all the food that I want. It was just a a build up of that restriction over time that just snapped. And... I was really scared because I said, oh God, like this, this diet didn't work. And now, now look what I've done. Now look what I've done. And I actually, 
it's so funny how I feel like I had such a smooth kind of um, entry into intuitive eating that I happened to come across intuitive eating ground on Instagram and clicked follow because thank and thank God I did because I I started looking at their posts and looking at them and thinking well that's that's interesting and that's that's not what I know about and it's it was so interesting and over that summer I read the book and that was mind blowing to me. I read it in a couple of days when I was on holidays and it was just, it really did blow my mind. And then I decided, okay, I need to fix myself for my health. I knew that my health was a, was a top priority and I, at the time, had thought that my weight being this meant that I wasn't healthy and that to fix it, I had to lose it. So I said, okay, maybe I'll try and find an intuitive eating counsellor to help me on this this journey and what I thought was, you know, to to maybe lose weight in the process because I really didn't have a full understanding of what intuitive eating was and that it wasn't aligned with weight loss, intentional weight loss. And so I looked up on the intuitive eating website, which has a list of all the intuitive eating counsellors that are certified, and I found Neve and we had a discovery call and we've I've been seeing her for the last two years. And that's Neve Orbinski. She's been a guest on the show. People can search and listen back to her interview and you'll find her at nutritionwithneve.com. But what have you learned about yourself and about the world around you and the impact it's had on you over your, over your life? I've learned that I am so much more resilient than I ever thought I was. Because I think to to come through weight cycling and all that diet culture as a fat person takes a lot of guts and resilience because it's not easy. You know, a fat person comes comes up against weight stigma every day and fat phobia every single day, everywhere you turn it's there. So I really, I really found that I'm, I'm really, really resilient. And is that from people or messaging or all of that? It's, it's everything. It's everything. It's TV, movies, people, social media, hospitals, GPs, everything. Everywhere, everywhere you look, as a, as a fat person, everywhere I look, I see fat phobia, because it's nor it's normal for me. It's normalised, which is totally bizarre. But that's a story from the time. Yeah, because the one thing people see is your weight. Yeah, and that's the there's a judgment there, or there's a comment there, or they think that should be the most important thing. Yeah, and that's why I, that's why I'm so passionate about telling people that their worth has absolutely nothing to do with their size or their shape, or their weight on the scale, or their inches, or whatever. Because everyone deserves to live their own amazing life, and whatever they want to do, they deserve it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they look like. And for so long, I dampened that. And whatever I want, I dampened it down. I didn't do so many things. And so now I'm I'm making up for lost time. <laughs> I'm not the shared experience that you have, but I have battled with my body. I didn't even know about the term diet culture until my 40s. So I'm very passionate to let people know this isn't just a way to live your life. This is a thing that was sent out there to hold people back and it is holding people back. And I'm also passionate about the word health and to be constantly restricting and binging and damaging your metabolism and having an unhealthy relationship with yourself and food. That's not that's not healthy. We don't always have to focus on size and I think it's such an important message. Yeah, no, it really is because I think the word, even the word health and the word well-being has become so distorted in our world because of diet culture. And we we really do know that there are things that you can do to contribute to your health independent of weight. You know, intuitive movement, 
sleep hygiene, self-care. Like there are so many other things that you can do independent of weight loss that you can contribute to your health. So how different is your life now two years on? I can't, I actually can't begin to des- to tell you. I can't begin to describe it. I really do, and I know I said earlier, I really do feel like I was reborn and that I'm I'm making up for lost time. I'm going to Italy in September for a month on my own because I never went on a J1 because I just didn't think I could do it. And this is my my version of a J1 and I'm, I'm so excited to spend a month on my own in Italy doing what I want. I'm really, really excited. And, you know, I've rediscovered fashion because fashion was a thing that I never really got into because I just thought I had to wear things that were kind of baggy and didn't, you know, hug my body and I couldn't wear, you know, colour or pattern or anything. So now it's something I'm completely rediscovering. So I, to be honest, I feel like I'm a teenager again. I'm a teenager living my life growing up again. <laughs> and what about your relationship with food and your body? Yeah, like it, I think I think for me, it's going to always going to be an ongoing thing because with with the world that we live in and with weight stigma and with diet culture, it's very, very hard to be 100 percent having a healthy relationship with food all the time. It's not it's not feasible. It's not possible. But that's why I go back to the book all the time and I have my sessions with Eve and I you really have to work at it. It has come a long, 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 long way, really long. But I still have to work on it all the time because it's not easy in this world. And people can follow your journey um, on social media, on Instagram. You're at Rediscovering Carly and your posts make me smile all the time. I loved when recently you said like how to get a beach body. (laughs) Just get yourself a swimsuit, get your body to the beach and you're there. There's so much pressure we put on ourselves and it can have such a damaging effect. I'm so glad you had your turning point and that you're rediscovering life. And it's been a pleasure to get to know you. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you for having me. And Carly is taking part in Intuitive Parenting. It's a half-day seminar with a range of speakers on how to nourish your child's relationship with food and their body. It's taking place on Sunday the 4th of September and tickets are available now at nutritionwithneve.com. Carly, thank you again. Thank you. Now, I met Adrienne Sweeney way back when in Radio World when we were working together at the same news entity. She was a reporter. I was there reading the bulletins and she went on to work as a news reporter for several years. She turned her back on the industry and embraced wellness, first by opening Rainforest Day Spa in Enniskerry and more recently Power Scored Springs in Wicklow. I went to find out a little bit more about this health farm. So Adrienne, we're sitting in the yoga studio. Um, it's very calming. It's beautiful. So it almost feels silly for me to ask, why did you make the jump from news and current affairs into such a peaceful way to make a living but when did you decide to change? Uh, well it was back in 2007 so I was working in News Talk and JFM uh, most recently before I left and I was down in the four courts and absolutely loved news and current affairs still do um, but I was de-stressing by spending an absolute fortune on getting massages and holistic treatments done and what gave me the idea was actually in a funny kind of circular way, I came here to Paris Court Springs Health Farm in Enniskerry when it was open in its previous lifetime. And um, it just planted the seed in my mind. So yeah, we kind of went for it. I opened Rainforest Spa then in 2009, and that's a day spa in Enniskerry. 
and we've been going for about 13 years there and then we opened here um, as a partnership and uh, in 2020 actually so we're just we're still brand new here this place had closed though because you don't usually hear the word health farm anymore it was kind of something I don't know around the, the 80s and 90s it was sort of a there were plenty of them in England. I don't know why I'm thinking of that and robes and then spas came in. So what is the difference? So uh, Powersport Springs was Ireland's first health farm and it was really the first destination that people could go and you know, get into robes, float around, have the spa treatments. And it was so well known and very popular in its heyday, it closed then in 2008. Um, and after that, a lot of hotels built on spas with their pools and their treatment rooms etc and um, it, I suppose the original health farm couldn't really compete with that and it later closed down and it was a real loss because it was something that was very different um, for people it, it has I don't know if you can kind of feel it, it has a, a really nice energy here with the land there's 38 acres here and you can just go out and roam around and everyone is floating around in their robes there's no mixed use here so nobody's here for conferences nobody's here for weddings the only people that are here are here to relax. So I think, you know, having that vibe of the original health farm is really lovely to have. And what's your mission here? What's your idea of wellness? So wellness is something that is so confusing for everybody. Like even anyone who works in the industry, it's just, it's nearly needlessly confusing. What, what does wellness even mean? If you look it up on uh, the internet, it'll basically mean a feeling of being healthy and moving towards um, a goal in your life. And so it's not really about achieving this amazing kind of final end destination of my life is perfect now and I feel absolutely fantastic every day. For me, um, wellness is what you make it. And like our approach here is accessibility. You know, that we don't, like, we like to think of ourselves as the gateway drug to wellness in the sense that you can come and you can try a yoga class, you can try a guided meditation class, you can experience what dry flotation is, you can try a sound healing ceremony. Um, we do lots of little different things and we explain it in a really simple way. Um, so that people can decide right I want to take something that the yoga teacher said home and practice a little bit of mindfulness at the end of the day it doesn't have to be this big overwhelming practice in your life it's all about micro opportunities during the day if you're making a cup of tea maybe as you just like let the tea bag sit there a bit longer and just take a few minutes just to think and notice what's around you it's all about just noticing the moment that you're in. So we don't like to preach to people because I'm certainly not, um, I haven't achieved <laughs> pure wellness. You know, we have things here like a cocktail lounge, you know, people can, you know, obviously have their margaritas when they're here. It's not punitive, we're not preachy. We just want people to take what they want from a stay with us. And I think that's what, you know, we would love our guests to go away with the sense that, you know what, I can just, I can do a bit of meditation, even just five minutes, and that's okay. That's all I need to do. And I can build it up over time if I want to. And I can really see that around, because um, I've been here for a couple of hours now at this point, and I've seen somebody coming back from a hike. I've seen somebody sitting with a glass of white wine, flicking through a magazine in their robe, all your treatment rooms, the doors are all closed. There's all something happening in there. So everyone's taking a different experience. And I think that's really important because a retreat is one thing where you really step out of your life and take some time for yourself. But then you have to go back to your 
real life. So you don't want it to be too jarring, do you? Otherwise, it just seems like it's you're not going to be able to cope when you get back to normal. Yeah, it shouldn't feel wellness shouldn't feel like a, a chore. It should be something that should fit into your life. And so the reason that we opened um, Paris Good Springs Health Farm um, at, you know, in terms of pricing, we've made it so accessible. Like you, co- you can come and stay with us for an overnight um, for as little as 99 euro. And you then add on like a jigsaw piece, the things that you want to do. You don't have to go hell for leather. You don't have to do anything. So, you know, you do see a lot of people who sit in this studio here and just lie back and listen to some music or read their book. Or we have lots of um, self-care books and self-help books that people can pick up and read and bring to their room. So, you know, it doesn't have to be an overwhelming thing. And the whole idea behind the way we structure it price-wise is that people can come more than once a year and feel that, well, you know, in a month's time I have that booked again and it's just for me. I'm just taking a solo break because life is so busy. And after COVID, things have sped up again so fast and um, we really, you know, we need to give ourselves, we need to carve out the time for ourselves by actively putting ourselves first in some scenarios like booking a breakaway for yourself or you and your you know husband or partner or best friend and that's what we see a lot of here it's people just getting away from the kids for just an overnight this is adult only by the way so it's a gated 38 acre estate with only adults in it so there's no noise so you know bar a few glasses of wine at night and um, so it is somewhere that you can just kind of let go and that's what we have written on the walls in the yoga studio is just let go so just let go of all the stresses that you have and all the to-do lists that you have and you know just being able to come in and let the world go for 24 hours is a really nice thing to do for yourself and it's not selfish to do it because self-care everyone always says oh it's not selfish to practice self-care but it feels like it is it feels like you're spending money on yourself and you feel like you're you know putting your kids second if you're putting your yourself first but you know you can't pour from the empty cup you know that's the old saying so you you kind of have to prioritize yourself in those ways yeah and especially when you said that about the goals because how do you know what your goals are or what wellness means to you if you don't stop and get still and it's really hard at home at work in life so you can be still somewhere else and figure it all out for yourself Mm -hmm. so you had come here as a customer so when you then came and saw it when it was for sale how much had it changed well it had gone from being a you know beautiful health farm with people wandering around in flowing white robes to trees growing right in the center of the building there was ivy on the inside we really had to start from scratch again and you're very much about like bringing the outdoors in so there's glass everywhere because look at this land um, i always feel i said it to you when i arrived when i start driving down the n11 and i get into wicklow there's so many trees and mountains that you just feel relaxed yeah there's something really like special i mean it really is the garden of ireland and in particular this like this spot we're just coming around by a little pond here and you can see the outline of the great sugarloaf mountain so like that's just so special it's so majestic and beautiful and we're sitting at the, the foot of that we actually sketched um, the mountain from this view and turned it into our logo so the sugarloaf is our logo um, but we the whole idea about being on a health farm is that you know you get out of the buildings and the air conditioning and the artificial light and we encourage people on, on their confirmation email it's bring your hiking boots and your rain jacket because we really encourage you to get out and walk the land even if it is a little bit misty because even 
feeling the kind of you know rain on you is yeah. is is an experience in, in itself and we don't have to be afraid of it yeah we do make so many excuses don't we and we do sort of think that wellness is a something that you have to spend money on and obviously you're going to spend money to get here but there's lots of just sitting and contemplating and taking in the nature so that in itself basically is what forest bathing is like when people say the word forest bathing you know even when i first heard it i was like what in god's name is it you need a swimsuit or what you know you're getting into a tub in the in the woodland and you're not like really the whole concept of forest bathing it's a japanese i won't even say tradition because it was actually brought in by the government in like the 1980s and they wanted to get people out of this artificial man-made cities and i had a program a wellness program to get people out into nature so really the all that forest bathing is is getting out into your local woodland your park ideally a forest if you have one nearby and staying still and just listening to the sounds like even you can hear a plane going overhead here it's like just taking in what's around you and looking at the light on the on the you know forest bed and you it's actually quite incredible what kind of happens to your mind it kind of resists a lot when you are doing it and you think of all of the things that you have to do next week or later on or what's for dinner but really, um, after you kind of push through that, it, it's so calming and it's so yeah. good for you. We're always thinking about the past, what we did yesterday, what we did years ago, what we still have to do later on today. You're right. So just even to hear that plane go overhead is very much in the moment. And I'm taking in my surroundings and we're going to meet, we're going to meet our some alpaca. members of your staff. Yeah, so we have three alpacas here. I'm actually going to go and get some food for them and we'll, we'll hand feed the alpacas. Okay. But they're our little baby boys and um, we invite our guests to go into their paddock and it's known as animal therapy but really it's it's being around being around animals and alpacas in some ways are quite like dogs they're really friendly they get to know about 20 people they know them really well um and um, even just being around them and sitting down we have some benches in the field here just encourage people to sit down and be near them because you know what it's like you know petting a dog for example it just makes you feel better um so being around the alpacas is um it's just a relaxing thing to do we actually do in the summertime we do our yoga outdoors and we do it in the alpaca paddock here and our guests lay out their mats and the alpacas just roam around them while they're doing their downward no time. way now i'm very like apprehensive about this alpaca approaching me but i'm just gonna like with all wellness i'm gonna feel the resistance yes. and do it anyway go first i'll go get some food okay so when, oh, so it's just like feed. Feed, yeah. They eat grass like sheep, but this is a an extra feed that they like to have. It's like you know, a little treat, pick and mix. And when you say um, baby boy, what sort of age are we talking? So we got them when they were about five months old and we've had them just over a year. So they're still quite young. They're gonna get their hair cut at five o'clock this evening. They get an annual haircut. So you can see them running over to us here. And what gave you this idea, Adrienne? Or were they here before? No, we just we just got the... I mean, we're a farm, really, and we, we didn't have a lot of livestock um, on the farm, so we will add over time. We, we will get around chickens. Like we have an orchard. We have about a million bees um, on site, and we serve the honey in in the restaurant. Um, but we wanted more animals on the farm, and alpacas, when you were looking at them, are actually have the added, added benefit of being just beautiful creatures to be around. Oh, they're beautiful fur, haven't they? The oh, don't only be scared, thing, don't be scared. The only thing they don't like is the top of the head, but they like okay. everything else. Okay. Yeah, they're frank. We get a lot of attention. 
uh, all the guests come out here and just have a little chat with them and have a little walk. In time, our guests will be, they are trained to be taken for walks. We'd let them just settle into their area because when, we, when they moved in, we didn't want to overwhelm them. But soon they'll be able to be brought for walks by the guests down the forest. Yeah, there is something magical about being around animals. I, like there is and I'd love to get the um, research on it because studies have been done about how it um, releases oxytocin into your system you know it just calms you down um, so you know a lot of the time alpacas would be used in settings for nursing homes and care settings for children with autism um, you know we've had a story here of um, one of the trainers uh, the alpaca trainers who uh, regularly brings out um, autistic children out to his alpaca farm and um, you know the, one of the children in particular just didn't react in any way um, to even his caregivers like his parents he just didn't have any relationship with them and he created a relationship with one of the alpacas that he was coming out to see every week and um, you know it really brought on his communication skills quite a lot oh are you eating me he's actually eating me <laughs> you want some more feed okay well clearly you're the boss and I'm not <laughs> So we're back now, you've showed me the dry flotation bed, which anyone who hasn't been on one needs to get on one soon. We've had a look at the beautiful pool area, the restaurant, so all the usuals are here and then some lovely special extras. So where do you see it all going, Adrian? What are your, your plans here? Well, we're just delighted to be back open again after the pandemic and really happy to see people coming together um, and reconnecting with each other, which is great. Plans for the future-wise, I mean, we want to expand more into the holistic side of things. So um, we're just about to launch a sound healing retreat, which will be the only sound healing retreat in Ireland. And you come and you have all of your spa treatments, nourishing food, everything like that, with um, a sound healing session built into that as well so we want to kind of push the boundaries out a little bit and try new things in terms of wellness packages um, just to give people an offering that might be a little bit more unusual than their average spa day well I don't think you need to add too much it's very special and thank you so much for having me thank you so much Claire now my next guest GP Dr Mark Rowe joined me on the show a couple of months back to talk about his book The Vitality Mark we spoke of his own work, his burnout, which led him to look beyond the usual focus of medicine to heal symptoms. And you can listen back to that in the podcast section at Newstalk.com. There's lots of interesting stuff in that chat about our biological age and our chronological age, what vitality should feel like. But we only got to touch on lifestyle medicine, what it is and how to introduce it into your life. So as he was in Dublin, I've invited him in once more. Mark, you are very welcome. I'm delighted to be here, Claire. So what is lifestyle medicine then? Lifestyle medicine is this very new but very old idea that our lifestyle habits can make a real difference to how we think, to how we feel, to how we act, perform and behave each and every day. I mean, it goes back to, you know, Socrates, the father of medicine in, in philosophy 2000 years ago. He said, you know, know yourself. Hippocrates said, if you're in a bad mood, go for a walk. If you're still in a bad mood, go for another walk. So lifestyle as medicine is really taking all the wonderful science because as a GP, I'm a scientist, so I respect the evidence. And there's a growing body of evidence now that shows that significant positive changes be it in your exercise and movement habits, be it in the quality of your nutrition, your sleep, your ability to recharge from stress, build strong, supportive relationships can make a big difference to your health span, which is the number of years you live healthily 
on this beautiful planet and maybe even to your lifespan. And not only that, research is finding that lifestyle as medicine is not only a very effective way to support people who have chronic health conditions, it can become an effective treatment in its own right. And even in some cases, it can reverse conditions. There's growing evidence now that lifestyle as medicine can reverse heart disease, can reverse diabetes. Now, I'm not for a second telling anybody ditch the pills. But what I'm saying is it's the best of both and it's the best of conventional medicine prescribed by your doctor and the best of the lifestyle habits you can cultivate each and every day. And it can really make a huge difference. Because we need both, don't we? Because sometimes I think there's a battle against both um, and you're living proof that they do go hand in hand. We do have the science, we do have the pharma and it's been saving people's lives. But there's no point in just writing a prescription with people and not asking what else is going on in your life aside from these symptoms or that could be aggravating or causing these symptoms. I had a fascinating, very short conversation just out in the coffee area and we were just sharing this idea that the more tools you have in the toolkit to support people, the better. Because we are all unique, our thumbprint is unique to us. There is no one size fits all. And what works for one person won't work for someone else. So the more ideas that you can give people to support them in what I say becoming active participants in their own well-being, what I mean by that is be able to take ownership, to be empowered with enough knowledge and and skills to take ownership of your own health and well-being journey, uh, as opposed to simply being a passive consumer of, of healthcare, that you can take ownership. And that's a very empowering idea. The idea that we can choose, that we can choose habits that are more health enhancing than health depleting. And it's not about being perfect. It's not about um, trying to be something you can't be, but it's understanding that the magic of time means that small little tweaks, small little micro moments of positivity, micro moments of movement, micro commitments of of self-care to yourself each and every day, really do compound over time. But it does feel like harder work. I mean, I know I've rocked up to my GP looking for this magic pill that's going to give me boundless energy to make Mm. sure you're hitting all your nutrition, to make sure you're getting that good night's sleep and managing your stress. It actually takes more effort than just downing a pill with a glass of water, doesn't it? It takes a lot more effort than downing a pill with a glass of water. But it's, you know, I think, Claire, there's nothing like starting. I mean, it's, it sounds so obvious and really it is. But I mean, the obvious things aren't always so obvious because we all have blind spots. Accept the reality of where you are right now. You know, and accept the reality of who you are, warts and all, being perfect in your imperfections. And that becomes your starting point uh, to move forward. And you can look at the various aspects of your, of your well-being and you can, there's many scoring systems. I have my own little vitality mark. But it's, it's about assessing where you are right now in terms of your sleep, in terms of your well-being, in terms of your mood. And then, you know, simply starting, picking something, one aspect of one area that you might like to work on. Maybe it's your relationship. So many people are disconnected and suffering from loneliness after lockdown. Maybe it's reconnecting with an old friend, meeting someone for a cup of coffee. Uh, That's a start. Maybe it's committing to be nicer to yourself, to be kinder to yourself, to quieten that inner critic to stop judging yourself so harshly. Because sometimes with all that's going on in the world right now, there's a lot of people that are struggling 
whether it's with stress or struggling with um, the cost of living and struggling with with the, all the distraction in the world, as it were. And um, sometimes just, as I say, staying in contention is good enough and to acknowledge yourself. But if there is something you want to start, I mean, it's, it's about accepting the real, reality of where you are and then asking yourself two, two or three really interesting questions. Firstly, how important is it for you to make this change? How important is it for Claire to take more exercise, to be kinder to herself, to sleep more, to deal more effectively with stress? So we kind of say, you know, you need to be kind of giving yourself a 7 out of 10 on the importance scale before Claire is going to decide it's important enough for her to take action. And learning more about it, that's why I wrote my Vitality Mark book, learning more about the science is a great way to understand why this might be important for you in terms of improving how you feel in terms of your health. Secondly, how confident are you that you can make the change? How confident are you that you can be nicer to yourself? How confident are you that you can move more? How confident are you that you can, um, you know, improve your sleep? So th- this means you need a strategy. Again, if, if you're not 7 out of 10, it's unlikely to be successful. So you need a strategy. Maybe you need people that are going to support you. But most definitely you need a plan because there's a big gap. I call it the intention gap between you know, what we like to do, perhaps, and what we actually do do. And yeah. that's that's where we all slip up and that's where we all fall down because the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak, as they say, because, you know, there, there is that gap for all of us. So having a plan. And then the third question, I think this is a great little question. What's the smallest step Claire could take today that if she took it, would provide her with evidence that she was moving forward on her well-being journey? So I'm not asking you to climb Kilimanjaro. I'm asking you what's the smallest step you can take because it all starts with that first step and you've got to celebrate success. And I think we get stuck in a rut, don't we? We get mm. stuck in a in a comfort zone of the same old, same old, oh, and even yeah. if it's not serving us. We don't like change. We don't really like change. And I think with the health message, we just keep getting... My previous guest was... Carly Keegan, who had a life of of dieting cycles. And that's where we're sent on health the whole time. Mm. Eat less, move more. And we go straight to the restriction and the Kilimanjaro. And that just seems like a lot. Whereas people forget, Mm. pick up the phone to an old friend, say, do you want to meet for a coffee? That's health and wellness. Just walk around the block after one work task, take in the trees, come back, sit down. It doesn't have to be hugely transformative. It's really small. And if you did that every day, where would you be in six months? Where There's would you be some really interesting year? things about, you're dead right. There's some really interesting things about change. Firstly, change starts twice. Firstly, it starts on the inside with our thinking and with how we feel before any change manifests on the outside. So that's the first thing to say. You're dead right. We, we, we don't only don't like change, we resist it. We actively resist change. Your brain is hardwired for survival. Homeostasis, which is this very, very complex biochemical system, millions of neurochemicals and cells all balancing against each other all the time to keep us in a state of balance. But in other words, to keep clear exactly where she is right now. So you really don't want to change. And one of the great ironies, of course, is that we're constantly changing. You know, your blood cells change every four months, your skin cells change every maybe 30 days, even 10% of your bone cells change each year. So change is the only constant, but but actually at a psychological level, we do resist change. And as you said, then it's often about, 
you know, running towards things that are negatively framed. This whole quest of dieting, denial, repression. And of course, if you, you might outrun what's running beside you. This is an old African proverb. You might outrun what's running beside you, but you'll never outrun what's running inside of you. And if you're running away from something, it means something is chasing you. So that's one of the really interesting ideas about how you can bring positive psychology in with lifestyle as medicine to frame things positively. I am going to be kinder to myself. I'm going to give myself more sleep. I'm going to move more. Framing these things positive, these are things you're moving towards. There is no necessary end point as opposed to I'm going to um, stop eating crisps. I'm going to stop eating chocolate because when your willpower is down, all your brain will think about is crisps or chocolate. Yeah, and they're not the problem. It's no. why you're leaning for them. That is, and once exactly. you kind of have a look at that. Can we talk about stress management then? Because I think it's so wide and varied and everyone starts or most people start every week and go, this is going to be different. I mean, I do it myself. And life just starts to whir around you um, and the demands on our time, on our attention is everywhere. So where do people start with managing their own stress? I think it's a great question and there's so many ways to answer it. But I would say this, you know, stress is neither good nor bad. Um, Stress is an inbuilt mechanism to enable us to fight or flight, to, to survive, to thrive in the world. But when stress exceeds a tipping point, you go into kind of negative or toxic stress territory. And that's when it can be very corrosive because all those stress hormones like cortisol um, cause cellular inflammation and, you know, make us feel very irritable and can be very damaging for our long term health and well-being. So really, it's all about how do we recharge from stress? And I think it starts you know, the night before. It starts with getting a good night's sleep. People really still underestimate how important quality and quantity sleep is. And if you're not getting enough sleep, your amygdala, which is like the red button for the stress response, will be on. And now you're hardwired for negativity and hardwired for irritability. Um, So leaving your phone downstairs, uh, I have my traffic light system for mobile phones clear. Green, orange and red. Green, Unlimited up to six in the evening, orange, six to nine thirty, you know, or so. Be careful, minimize, and after nine thirty, red zone off the phone. Leave, plug the phone into a docking station. Don't bring your phone into the bedroom because the blue light really does have a corrosive effect on your melatonin and your sleep quality. So I think it starts last night in terms of how you're embracing stress today, and I have I think starting your day well is is a great. Too small and hibber, as we say in Irish, but, you know, starting well, it just helps to really frame the day. You might start the day with a little bit of exercise, if you can manage that, if you're multitasking at home, maybe you can you can do even five or ten minutes of, 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 of squats or star jumps or whatever. Uh, you might meditate in the morning, some people like that, some people like to write in a journal, all these things can be really good. One little thing I have that I recommend is is just a little written exercise I call GLAD. Gee, what am I grateful for today? Three things I feel genuinely good about. It's a wonderful way to frame your heart and mind towards 
abundance, towards appreciation, towards positivity. And it's a great way to dissolve feelings of toxic stress and anxiety. So it just gets your, reframes you into that more positive mindset. What am I grateful for? And of course, there is so much to be grateful for. I mean, you know, just waking up to the day ahead in itself absolutely. is a is gift it, and we it's forget. A gift. Absolutely. Oh my God. It's so humbling for me as a doctor to really appreciate what a gift life is. Uh, L, what am I going to let go of today? What little niggle, what little thing that's been irritating me or biting away at me, nipping away there, am I just going to let go of? Because I can. Because as we said earlier, I've got the power to choose. Uh, a is appreciation. Who can I extra appreciate today? Who who in my life can I appreciate? And then D is, is your dedicated focus. What are the top two or three projects I'm going to dedicate my time to? What are the top things going on, whether it's in my work or in my family or in my health? What are, what are my two, top two or three things? So when I get to the end of the day, of course, it's not going to be a perfect day. Stuff happens, but it will have been a good enough day. And I think it's so, so important to start your day off well. Mm. And even in that focus, something that I've noticed myself trying to do now, I think we focus so much on our work and on our career. Mm. And if you're like, what three things do I need to get done today? Quite a lot there to do with our job or, you know, if you're a stay at home parent, it's things you want to get done in the house. You forget about your joy. You forget about mm. your friends. You forget about your relationships. You forget about your self-care. Um, and I've really started to try and write those things down a lot more and schedule them mm. into my diary because we forget how important they really are. Oh, absolutely. They're never, they're never urgent, or re- but they're really, really important. You're so right, Claire. And I think joy is a great word. And... You know, I think joy transcends well-being and transcends happiness. It's, it's you know, I suppose peak, peak experience. And I think a great question to reflect on is how can we bring micro moments of joy into our lives, into our days? One of the things I love to do is I love to uh, take photographs. I have an iPhone and I love to take photographs of beautiful little spots of, in nature, a flower, a tree, Kamarebi is this Japanese term of the light filtering through the leaves and just take the lovely picture and then maybe just look at it later on. Then sometimes I put them up on, on my social media with a little quote or something. And uh, but that gives me joy because it's it's for me, it's being really present in nature and just really um, there's no judgment. It's just it's just a lovely experience. For me, of course, there's so many ways we can experience joy, but that's a simple way that I really try and bring a lot of um, joy into my own life. Yeah, no, you're right. It's, uh, and you that's know. what's so important about health and wellness. It's, it's, it's individual to each individual. What's joy for you is not joy for me. That's what's it. health for you is not health for me. What's stress for you is not stress for me. And I think it's such amazing work you're doing because you are a medical doctor prescribing mm. prescriptions every day and you're also prescribing get out and find some joy. And I think that is the health message. Absolutely. And uh, it, it's really empowering people, as I said earlier, um, to take ownership of their own health. And it can really make make such such a difference. I was reading um, just a few days ago that um, just to your point there about me walking the walk, that if, if, if doctors and physicians are seen to be embracing the ideas they talk about or the health messages they talk about, people are 80% more likely to follow that advice uh, because there is great authenticity. If if you're involved in healthcare and you are 
taking action on those health ideas yourself. And of course, nothing and no one is perfect. And I'm far from perfect. As I joke, I'm a work in progress like everyone else. But it is so fascinating to, you know, take ownership of your own health. And of course, I didn't always do that. You know, years ago, I was, you know, just a complete workaholic and just ignored my own health needs. But when you do wake up and you do do that, it can make such a difference. And I talk about that on my podcast every week in the doctor's chair. And this November, I'm going back to Cyprus to bring a group for a kind of a wellness holiday. I'm going with Erica Bracken and Patricia McGowan and it's it's going to be an immersive week where people, because people want connection now, Claire, post-COVID. And I'm also doing one in, in Kelly's in Rosslare with Fiona Brennan in November, a weekend. But it's just to create environments and experiences where people have the opportunity, if they so wish, to really take stock, reevaluate their own well-being journey and see what are the small little changes they might consider making. Because it's never about telling people what to do. Uh, no one likes being told that. But it's it's offering the possibilities and showing the way. Yeah, and just breaking the circuit sometimes to mm. take that time out to find out what it is for you. Well, people can find out more at drmarkrow.com. Dr. Mark Rowe, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Claire. So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer, Aidan McKelvey, to Simon Keane and Jojo Cordoza, who was on sound. And thanks to you for listening. I will see you next week. Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna. Sunday morning at 8 on News Talk.